Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. So if we haven't met before, my name is Robert Frazier. I'm one of the elders here, and I do a bit of the teaching, and uh, we finished up last week our liturgy series, which was working through our kind of 19 values that shape our culture around Redemption Hill. So if you didn't get a chance to, to listen to that, or you missed some weeks, it's all on the podcast, and it's on our website, so if you want to get back and listen to it, it's there. It's a great way to kind of get to know what we're about and what we do as a community. This week we're going to be starting a new sermon series. And so we're just going to jump in. Genesis chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 18. Give me verse 1 through 8. I'm reading out of my physical Bible because it's here. Let's do it. I'm going to need some, some lights. Can I get a reading light in here? All right. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to the servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and roasted meat and he served it to the men as they ate abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees this this story the bible feels distant right like it's this was this was written like 40 40 centuries ago (laughs) it was it's about something that happened 50 centuries ago Generations and generations and generations. This stuff was ancient history to Jesus. Okay? So we're, we're going far back. 5,000 years ago, a galaxy far, far away. And we read this and it feels, it feels distant. It feels like something that doesn't feel like something that makes sense to me. But the, the interesting part about this that is, feels so different is Abraham. And his response. And I, what I want to do is I want to, I want to dive into the culture of the ancient Near East. And I want to look at why Abraham did what he did. And what it means for us almost 
4,500 years later. This is a story. Put yourself in the ancient Near East. This is like pre-Bronze Age. So most of all things, like writing is being invented. Like that's, that's how long ago we're talking. Literally, the idea of writing things down is being invented at this time. You're, you're traveling in the ancient Near East. There are probably almost no roads to speak of. There are some well-worn paths, but there's, there's no roads. Um, they're probably, you've probably never seen the written word at this point. Um, and the youth are really going at it in there. Um, the only water that's available is two kinds. Surface water that we all know don't drink surface water. Why? Animals pee in it, so you got to be careful. Um, and then you have wells, subterranean wells, that even the, in the ancient world, they, they had to find water, and they dug down, and they found water, and they built, built these wells. But wells were something that only happened in settlements. So your access to clean water was completely restricted to your connection with the person who owned and settled that well. And so if you're in the ancient Near East and you're traveling along through what was probably much like it is today, some sort of, a, of an arid or semi-arid desert, and you're coming along, there's very few roads, there's no maps, like we're talking literally zero maps available, and people would wait out on the road as thieves, kidnappers, and human traffickers, and they would sit outside of settlements a few miles out of town and wait for people who are walking along in hopes that they would meet somebody who was completely vulnerable to their attacks. Travel in the ancient Near East was very difficult. And water and hospitality, showing up in a place where you're welcomed in, was not just a nice thing. It was a matter of life and death. If you show up in a town walking through the desert and they don't give you access to their well, what will happen? You and your whole tribe of your family will die. That was the reality. So compare that with like today. You get on the road. You go down to the next town. You can do, you know, several hundred miles in a few hours. You get down there. And most of us will only travel if we have enough wealth to provide for us a safe place to be when we get there. We've got infrastructure. We've got roads that we can travel. There are places along the road to stop and not just go to the bathroom in a, like, the, the absurdity that we have these rest stops on the side of the road where we need, you know, like the ancient travelers would be like, not only do you need a place to go to the bathroom, but you need a place to go to the bathroom that offers you a Slurpee while you wait. Like, that is, they, they would have just been marveled by our travel centers on the freeway. Um, you, you go along the road and you're looking for somewhere to stop for water, somewhere to stop for food, somewhere to stop for fuel, somewhere to stop to sleep in safety. And that's available every step along the way. So when you put yourself back in the third millennia BC, you have to understand the context of travel and the obligations that they had towards one another in light of what this reality was. So the host, anytime someone showed up, so Abraham in the story, he's sitting there, he's, he, he, he's asleep at a tree, and he, he opens his eyes, and there's three travelers in front of him 
who just showed up on his doorstep. And this is, this is an ancient Near Eastern travel. <clears throat> you, you show up when you show up, right? Uh, do you remember pre-cell phones? When you'd say, we're leaving our house at 6 a.m., we'll be there sometime in the evening. And then they couldn't track your progress along the way. And you had no way of getting a hold of them on the road if you broke down. Um, I remember a couple of trips just up Highway 55 to McCall or Cascade or Warm Lake, and someone would break down. And you wouldn't know for a day or two what happened to them because there weren't any phones up there. And you'd just be like, I, I hope they're okay. You know, like, I hope they get word to us. They could be dead. And this was like 20 years ago in Idaho. You know, like this is... So in the ancient world, people just showed up. They showed up on your doorstep, and you as a host, you as someone who had access to the infrastructure of the simplest infrastructure, just water, and maybe a little bit of stored food that you've raised, you were obliged to provide the traveler with food, water, and shelter. This was a moral obligation that if you did not fulfill, you would be seen as an enemy of that person. So if you're not ready to receive a traveler, Abraham welcomed these three strangers into his tent, and he eagerly ran to meet them and lavished welcome on them because the honor of his household was tied up in how he treated these travelers. When someone shows up in your neighborhood as a traveler, is the honor of your family tied up in how you care for them? No, you probably, you think it's completely on them to figure out how to live. He ran to meet them, and Abraham's words and actions, including he bows to the ground in front of them, they seem so out of place and exaggerated to us. However, this was very typical of Oriental hospitality in the, first, in the third millennia BC. He provided them with water to wash their dusty feet and a place to rest. He told his wife to go get the best flour, not the flour that's been sitting around a little too long, the new flour, make some bread with it. Often they'd have a servant wash the feet of the guest, and this provided like a refreshing care. You know what it's like. You've been on the road, you get home, and you get a shower. They didn't, they didn't take showers, but their feet needed to be cleaned. This symbolized the acceptance of the stranger into the household. And if you didn't do it, it was seen as hostility. Okay, so if you don't provide a foot washing to someone who enters into your home, it's seen as you saying, you don't belong here and I see you as a threat to my family. That's why when you see in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus is invited into a home and, and, and they don't offer him a foot washing and he calls him out on it. Because in the ancient Near East, it was seen as you're treating me like an enemy of your family by not offering me a foot washing in your home. Abraham's elaborate preparations for the meal indicate the, the deep importance of providing for travelers. And when they left, Abraham even got on the road and walked with them down the way to make sure that they got in the, in the right direction and he could point them to where they ought to go. The traveler was expected to accept whatever the host offered. If they refused the hospitality, that was an insult that only an enemy would inflict. So not only was your connection with this person tied to what you offered them, but if they didn't accept it, then you realized that there was some problem that needed to be addressed, that you had to deal with if you wanted to keep them from raiding your family and stealing your settlement and killing and enslaving your family, okay? These are the stakes in the early ancient Near East. It's not just like, 
hey, would you like some food? And they say no, and you go, great, have, have a good travel. Like that's not, life and death is at stake. Every single interaction in the ancient Near East was filled with this risk, much like even, you know, 110 years ago, right here in Idaho, if you showed up into town, you would be, if you were not able to access the hospitality of a city, then you were a threat to the city. Even, even in Idaho 100 years ago. So this, is, this has been a part of the history of the world. Um, we, we see, fast forwarding a little bit, the men of Sukkoth and Penuel, they refused to feed Gideon and his men. And Gideon's response, it was a violent overreaction where he killed them all. Yet their refusal was like a serious violation of the customs of the time of hospitality. You see in 1 Samuel 25 that David and Nabal almost go to war over his refusal to feed David's men. So this is not just a a nice thing. The traveler had almost no legal or political rights in the ancient world because the only rights anybody had were enforced by your tribe, your family. And so if you're traveling through, in America, you even as an immigrant, a refugee, an illegal immigrant in America, you have the rights to petition our courts for justice. In the ancient world, there was no such system. You need to understand that these people were completely at the mercy of the people that they were showing up to. Uh, the story of Lot is, is offers this graphic evidence of the importance of protection in the ancient world. Lot is so concerned about his honor of his family that when he's protecting these two angelic visitors in his, in his household, that he's willing to offer his daughters as sexual slaves to protect the visitors because he felt so obligated by their presence in his home. Because when a guest showed up, you had to offer them food, you had to offer them water, you had to offer them protection, and you have to offer them kindness. And if you don't offer those four things, it was seen as hostility to who they were sent by. The sharing of food together is, is seen as a token of friendship. So once they, you invite them into your house, you can either offer them food or you can invite them to your table. And in Abraham's case, he invited them to not just a table, but a feast of a meal. Roast lamb, yogurt, pita bread. It's like going to a Greek restaurant today. It's all right there. It's, it's what they needed and they were invited into the family. Sharing of food is a covenantal commitment. So sitting at a meal with somebody, it's, it's much like I, I watched The Godfather on a flight last month, and one of the characters says, they broke bread together. Talking about the betrayal of one family of another. And this is an ancient worldly custom in that if you invite someone to your table and you break bread with them, you are seen as in a relationship of covenant, and if you break that, that is a symbol of war and hostility between your families. Food is seen as this covenantal commitment. One of the most despicable acts in the ancient world is to eat with someone and then betray them, which we see with Jesus. Jesus eats his last meal with Judas, and then Judas leaves to go betray him. Until you understand the context of that betrayal and what it means to eat food together, You don't understand, the entire code of hospitality in the Middle East is so strong that it evoked this warning in Hebrews 13. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 
Now, we've kind of set the stage. We understand what hospitality was in the ancient world. And we have worked hard to get rid of the need for this kind of hospitality in the last 30 years. We've done more work to get rid of this than any time in history. Through wealth, technology, information, and government systems, we have created a way where we can live in an autonomous freedom from an obligation to one another or to those who travel among us. Now let's talk through that. Through wealth. If you have enough money, you can show up anywhere and coerce someone to give you what you need. That's what wealth is. It's my ability to get you to do what I want through my hoarding of material things. So we use that when we show up in a city to say, I want you to not rent out your house to people in your town. I want you to rent out to me as an Airbnb. And I'm going to pay you $250 or $300 a night to have access to your home and to feel safe in your neighborhood. And so I use wealth to distance myself from needing somebody. Now imagine you're in the ancient world and you show up to town and you ask, is there a place for me to stay? If there isn't, what's the answer? You're on the street. You're begging. You're hoping to find enough food or water or shelter to care for you. That's why the Christmas story starts with Jesus, not his family not finding a home in his hometown. It was, it was meant as a symbol of inhospitability, that the world itself was rejecting God and in hostility with God by not offering him a place to lay his head. Even a pregnant, can you imagine? A pregnant woman shows up at your doorstep needing a place to stay, and you say, there's no room for you here. This was the symbol of humanity rejecting and in hostility with God. We use technology to get rid of our need to have any sort of contact with someone. I can fly across the country, rent a home, stay there for a week, leave, and come back and never have talked to a single person. That's an absurdity. My phone, like, I don't even need to message the host. Like, on, the, my, on my Airbnb, I just click it, they give me a code, I open up the door, I stay there, and I leave, and there's never any human contact at all, because that's what we're trying to build as a society that isolates us from one another. And we've used government systems of justice, which are in themselves a blessing. The safety that's provided by our country is unparalleled. The safety of transaction, the safety of relationship, the safety of contracts is un unimaginable in most of the world even today but what it has done is it's made me say I'm safe on my own and I don't need the hospitality of others and I don't need to offer it to others um, just as an example Clint and I we were driving back from Boston when I was moving back and we had it was me and him and a 27 foot Penske and my dog Daisy in the seat between us and we drove Four days, I think we did. We did 3,200 miles in four days. It was absurd. But what I could do is I could call my friends along the way. I called my friend James. He lived outside of suburban Baltimore. And the week before, I said, hey, we're coming through. And he offered and said, oh, you can stay at our place. We have a room for you. We have a room for your friend. Please stay with us. In the ancient world, were you able to do that? The answer is no. You couldn't send message ahead that you, the, the family member that you have in that town or that city to ask them if you belong there. So we have figured out ways to make sure that we don't have this problem. Hospitality. 
People describe our city as a friendly place. Have you heard that? They, like, they say, oh, it's so friendly here, people who move here. I think they're just sucking up to us, to be honest. Um, but they describe Boise as a friendly place. And I've, I've traveled a lot, and I'd say, like, Boise's probably in the middle of, like, warmth. Like, we're not, we're not large city, get out of my face, don't talk to me jerks. And we're not small town southern hospitality, okay? Like, we're, we're in the middle where we will, we will smile at you and nod and then leave you alone. Because that's, that's our culture. It's like, give me space. I need space. Um, we, we imagine that we're friendly and that that equals this sort of hospitality. You're likely to have a short, polite conversation, but you're unlikely to invite a stranger into your home for a cup of coffee. Has anyone in here invited someone at their door that they've never met in for a cup of coffee? My, my dad. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that was the person I was going to guess. Um, yeah. Uh, it's very unlikely in our, in our culture to do that. Somewhere over the last 70 years, our culture has transformed in a place that values privacy, secrecy, and individualism over all things. 70 years ago, inviting a stranger into your home for a meal would have been a, at least within the realm of possibility, and even somewhat normal. I think of uh, Back to the Future. Marty McFly is peeping into his mother's bedroom window, falls in the street, gets hit by his grandfather's car. This is a time travel piece. But <laughs> after they hit him with the car, what do they do? They don't take him to the hospital. They invite him into the home. They, they let him rest till he wakes up from his concussion. And then they feed him a meal. Like that was at least somewhat within the realm of normalcy, where today it's likely seen as a act of radical foolishness to invite someone you don't know to come have a meal in your home. If I told you there was a door-to-door salesman at my door selling me solar cells last night and he looked hungry and I invited him in for a meal, you'd be like, that's a little weird. That doesn't belong in our cultural narrative. We see new people as a threat. We see them as a bunch of need rather than a potential connection. We see them as a liability rather than an obligation. And here's the thing. Abraham and the ancient Near East understood who God was better than we do all this time later and all this knowledge later and all this revelation of God later because they understood this fundamental fact about the nature of God and about our obligation to him and to others is that hospitality is the center of the universe. It's why we exist. It's how we're supposed to live. And it's what all of the solutions to all of the problems in our entire world can and will be solved by radical acts of hospitality between God and humanity. So why are we talking about stranger danger and resident aliens in the ancient Near East? We think that this is essential to understand the gospel and our place in God's family. So, so let's go back all the way to Genesis 1. We are created in a wilderness. God makes the world. God makes man and places him not in a garden. He makes him outside of the garden. And then God builds a house for him, this garden, and invites the man to join him in the garden, to belong in his home. And God wants us to reenact this. 
God, God does reenact this by inviting Abraham on a journey with him into a home that he is preparing for him. So we see later on in Genesis, God says, Abraham, leave your family in Ur of the Chaldeans and go, and I will show you, a, sorry, Haran, uh, I will show you a place that I will make a home with you. You will be my people and I will be your God and you will become a great nation. Abraham leaves home, leaves his, his family that he had been a part of, and he takes this journey through this desert wilderness and God prepares a home for him. But it's a 550 year journey of Abraham and his descendants before they will belong before they will find the home that God has set aside for them in Canaan. And every step along the way, Abraham and his descendants will have to rely on the kindness of strangers as foreigners in a distant land. This was the way that God prepared the people of Abraham to be his people, is to start by making them rely on the hospitality, the friendship, the vulnerability, the generosity of strangers. Abraham spent months or years on the road from Haran to Canaan the first time. And then when he shows up, it is the likes of Melchizedek and the kings of, of the Canaanites who would allow him after he, he builds this, this well over and over again. It keeps getting filled in and destroyed or taken over by people. And then finally they let him stay. Because they didn't have to let Abraham stay in Canaan. It was always the hospitality of the people who were there. You have Abraham in Canaan as a resident alien who had no protection from the tribes around him and had to rely on others and their generosity to stay. You have Israel's clans when they go to Egypt as resident aliens who then become slaves who are totally reliant on the generosity of even Pharaoh himself. And then you have Israel going into the desert, and along the way in the desert, they're completely vulnerable to what can happen in the desert. And then you have Israel going back into Canaan, and it still is reliant on the hospitality of the people who are there. This was all to form them as a people so they wouldn't forget this key part of understanding who God is and who we're supposed to be as a people. Just like God made a home to invite us into, and just like all those strangers along the way invited Israel in and cared for them, they were meant to become the kings of hospitality. This was to be the calling card of God's people, that they would offer protection, food, shelter, and loving kindness to the strangers that would come into their land. Now, I got to tell you, God spent 550 years preparing Israel for this job, and they still weren't good at it. They still, you see throughout the Old Testament, the judgment on Israel is, is not even necessarily always have anything to do with foreign gods. It has everything to do with their hospitality towards sojourners, towards aliens, towards those who are weak and vulnerable. Hospitality is the center of connection with God and with others. We see in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, it says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat him. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is the reality of all humanity. We are wandering in a desert, 
a soulless wasteland in our world. We're looking for food and waters to feed our deepest needs. And as we stumble upon the God of the universe, who's been out on the road searching the highways and byways for lost travelers, and what he does is he invites us into his hospitality, his provision, protection, shelter, and loving kindness to be a part of and inside of his household. And not only does he invite us into his household and provide for us, he invites us into the table where we enter into covenant with the God of the universe who says, not only are you going to be a guest in my household, but God looks on us and says, they have no home to call their own. In the ancient world, if if someone came along and they were on the road because they had nowhere to belong, and there, you know, there was, in the ancient world, there was devastation, there was war, there was politics, there was evil things that happened to people, there was natural disasters, and they would lose their place in the world. One of the roles that you had in hospitality was to offer them a place to settle. Not, not necessarily to give them your land, but to allow them to work your land, to give them the glean of the harvest of your fields to allow them a place to belong. And that's what the God of the universe does with us. God says, there's plenty of room in my household for you. Not just as guests or as aliens, but as a part of my family. And so you can enjoy the protection, the provision, the shelter, and the loving kindness, not just for a respite, to be a part of my tribe and my family. And all it takes is you as a traveler, a sojourner on the road, when you enter into God's family, he gives you one invitation. He says, submit yourself to the lordship that I have over this place. Enter into the family culture that I am creating. Trust me to provide protection and sustenance for you. And what I have is yours. It's yours to enjoy. And this is the same invitation that God has for us. The gospel is about God's hospitality towards us. His work on the cross was to open and fling wide the doors of salvation so that we can belong in his kingdom and be a part of his family. And we can submit ourselves to his kingdom way and enjoy his hospitality by belonging in his family. And we can pledge loyalty to his tribe and make commitments to do what he has done for us, for those who come along after us. This sermon series we're calling Philozenia, okay? Philozenia, say it with me. Philozenia. There it is. We got it up there. Philozenia, what does it mean? It means love of the stranger, love of the alien, love of the foreigner. And this is the Greek word for hospitality. Hospitality is at the center of what it means to be God's people. And we are becoming a peculiar kind of people, even among Western Christians, as we start to embrace the good news of God creating a place for us to belong so that we can offer that place to belong for others. And I know that you're hoping that I mean a place to belong like a church. That's actually not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God gave you a place where you belong a household and a family so that we can offer a place to belong, a household and a family for others to be a part of. The sort of radical hospitality in the first century we want to pull forward, even in spite of all the modern technology and wealth that we have to avoid connection with one another and to avoid joining our lives with others. 
what we're going to do is we're going to have these really soft borders on our households. And we're going to have rooms and places for people to live alongside of us. Because what God wants to do is he wants to take all the places that he's entrusted to you, the rooms that he's entrusted to you, the yards that he's entrusted to you, the food that he's entrusted to you, and wants to open up those doors because there's people who need to belong in your household. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how hospitality is not about dinner parties at your house. Okay? That's... In our culture, that's the shift that we have to make because we think of hospitality as cleaning up really well so that when my friends come over, I'm not embarrassed by the dust on the floorboards, right? Like that's what we think of as hospitality, making a great meal and there's a two-hour time limit and then I'm going to say, well, got an early morning tomorrow and then, and then you're going to hopefully get the hint and leave my house. It's not the kind of hospitality we're talking about. We're talking about practical ways that we can be people who offer the hospitality of God, opening up our homes to others. I don't know if you realize this, but our city has a housing crisis. Our city has thousands and thousands of people who are sitting on the precipice of homelessness or who are experiencing homelessness right now. There are 4,000 kids in our school districts in the valley who have no place to call home who have no place to lay their heads. And God has entrusted to his church thousands and thousands of bedrooms and lots and lots of sheds and large lots and even RVs and places. And we're going to be asking the question, what does it look like for us to be the radical kind of hospitable people that create homes for people? I know you've heard me talk about housing as a part of our ethos here at Redemption Hill, but we're going to double down and ask what are practical ways that we can really enter in and, and be the people who offer this hospitality and maybe even entertain angels without knowing it. I'm done with my sermon. That was 30 minutes, so you're welcome. <laughs> that was not, that's really embarrassing, actually. <laughs> um, I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And would someone text the kids that we're about done and they can come back and join us for worship whenever they want. We're going to have, we're going to finish up our, our morning with oh, some songs. You have a phone. <laughs> yes, if someone would like to walk over and let the youth and the kids know, that'd be great. We, every week we enter into this table and it's not an accident that Jesus made it about the table. The table is about God's hospitality towards us. And when we're invited to, to sidle up to his table and to drink his wine and to eat his bread, the invitation is that we enter into a covenant with him where we belong as a part of his family. So when we share the table with God, he's offering his hospitality and every host takes on cost when they offer hospitality. Hospitality is never free, right? Say it with me. Hospitality is never free. Hospitality is never free. It costs you something. And when we come to the table, this is a stark reminder that hospitality, to open up his home to God's enemies, it costs Jesus his whole life. It costs him his blood being shed and his, and his body being crushed for us. And the only way that we can enter into his kingdom is through the door of hospitality offered to us by God through the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And so I want you to come forward and receive communion. Come grab it, go back to your seat, and then um, Andrew's going to lead us in a little prayer time here in a little while, and I'll have him do the words of institution and have us take the bread and wine during that time. Does that sound good, Andrew? Okay, so come forward during this next song, grab the elements, take it back to your seat, and then we'll take it all together. Lord God, your hospitality and your loving kindness was written into the very fabric of our created universe. You wrote it on the hearts of your people. You spoke it over us over and over and over again. You reminded us in its totality. You gave us a true picture of hospitality in the work of Jesus. And we have been working to forget it every day since. Hmm. So God, we pray that we would become the kind of people who step into the hospitality that you offer that we'd be the kind of people who then would turn around and offer that hospitality to the world around us, that we'd offer safety, we'd offer food and water, we'd offer a place to lay their head, we'd offer our loving kindness and our friendship at the table because you, God, have opened up a way for us to have what we need by being a part of your family. Lord God, let us become the kind of people who instinctually say yes when there's need. We become the kind of people who instinctually ask, do they have a place? The kind of people who say, I'll take on a risk to myself and my family to offer the kind of hospitality that you've invited us into. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Voice. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.